Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, I'm James Rogers, and this is the History Hit World Wars podcast. When we think back to pioneers of wartime nursing, we think of the Crimean War, and Mary Seacull, or Florence Nightingale, or perhaps the First World War, and Edith Cavell. But in this podcast, I got to find out about the forgotten, fascinating history of Valbor Yort, who was actually a student of Edith Cavell, but would go on to become a world expert in how to set up wartime field hospitals. She was in Belgium, close to the front lines. She was in St. Petersburg and travelled around to set up the first field hospitals in Estonia. And it's through her memoirs that we get actually quite a gruesome glimpse of what it was like within the operating theatres and the anonymity between injured soldiers. I'm here with Jacob Sirup, who is an author, researcher and curator of modern history at the Museum of Bornholmen. Jacob has taken me around to citadels on Bornholm, directed me towards Soviet war memorials and been really exploring the history of Bornholm here, especially during the Soviet occupation, which we're running a project for, for History Hit. And if you want to learn more, you can listen to a previous podcast by Professor Caroline Kennedy-Pipe on Stalin's Danish mystery. But we're here to talk about a slightly different, more personal, individual history of someone from Bornholm, a Valbor Yort. Now, who was Valbor and why is she important to our understanding of the history of war? Well, she was a young uh, woman born in the 1870s and she was trained as a nurse and wanted to see the world. So in 1912, she went to Brussels to work in a medical clinic there. And from there, history sort of took her to the battlefields of Europe. And through her story, you sort of see the big history in the little history, in the personal history of Velbo. She is our eyes and ears. So we're sitting here in Bornholm Museum, on Bornholm, in the middle of the Baltic. And it doesn't escape our attention that this is a small island. What makes Valbor want to go out there and to become a nurse and to be involved in these global battles? 
I think her background, her family background, played an important role in this because her family had an international outlook. Her father was a potter originally and had established a terracotta factory here on Bornholm. And you could find his products all over the world. He sold to Russia and to France and to Italy and the United States. And he maintained a vast network professionally. And he was very open to ideas and international inspiration. So I think that made it natural for her to want to go out and see the world. So she had an international outlook. Now, during this period, of course, we are familiar with the names of people like Florence Nightingale and Edith Cavell. Where does Valbor fit within this period of history? Does she come across these pivotal figures that are vital to improving battlefield nursing and caring for troops? Actually, yes, she did. Well, of course, not Florence Nightingale. She was just sort of a generation too late for yes, that. Of but when she did go to Brussels, she was employed in a clinic where the head nurse was Edith Cavell. And being a Danish trained nurse, she was, I think she was quite proud of her training. She thought that the Danish nurses were quite professional about it. And she wasn't very impressed with the Belgian nurses. And from what she describes, neither was Edith Cavell. She, <laughs> she thought these, these, um, it was sort of an upper class thing to become a nurse. And perhaps they weren't so used to sort of the nitty gritty of labor. So Valbor had been trained by Edith Cavell and, well, at least was in the same training school as her that she headed up. Where was Valbor's first taste of conflict? Where did she first experience that harsh reality of warfare? She went to Constantinople, to the Balkan Wars. And the reason why she did that was that the head of the clinic was a Belgian professor, a physician uh, or surgeon, I should say, Antoine Depage. And he liked Velbo. I think professionally, he, he sort of saw her as she had potential. So one day he just goes in and say, do you want to come along to Constantinople? And she doesn't quite think she's hearing right, because sometimes he would go out to perform uh, operations in private homes in Brussels and surroundings. So she thinks she's misheard him and says, oh, well, is it... <laughs> is that very far? <laughs> and he says, yes, this is Constantinople. And, uh, and there they go. And they establish this clinic or ambulance, as they call it, a field hospital in an old Turkish barracks in Constantinople. And it is horribly filthy. And she describes this very weird contrast. She's uh, staying at the Pera Palace Hotel at night, enjoying absolute luxury. Like that's the hotel, you know, from Agatha Christie's uh, The Orient Express, oh, right? Yeah, yeah. So there she gets massages and baths and everything at night. And then every morning they then head to this horrible, stinking barracks where they try and do their best to mend together these wounded Turkish soldiers who arrive directly from the battlefields. It really is a mix of experiences for Valbor then in Constantinople. Like you say, luxury at night and then experiencing the most horror during the day and seeing such violent scenes. What did she make of this experience? What life experiences did she take away from her time there? I think you'd say that it was a professional challenge and 
it developed her talent as a nurse, but you shouldn't overlook the fact that on a personal level, it was also, she really wanted to go and explore and see the world. So whenever the opportunity arose, she was just eager to come along. So she went to the harem of the Sultan and uh, had tea and sweets. And she met the wives, I guess you'd say, of the Sultan just a few months before he was deposed. And so you get that impression throughout her letters and her manuscripts that, yes, she did want to go and help and do what she could as a nurse, but she certainly also had that appetite to go out and see the world and get these amazing experiences that otherwise she could only read about in books. This is a fascinating history because Valbor is a highly trained nurse, obviously, but she also sounds like an adventurer, an explorer. Does her adventure stop here? in Constantinople? Oh no, they leave Constantinople behind at the end of the Second Balkan War in the early months of 1913. She's then in Brussels for a few months before she returns to Copenhagen and they have a gathering and they sort of joke about they'll see each other next time there's a war and lo and behold in 1914 there is another war. In the meantime, she's got a very attractive position in a newly established, very modern Danish hospital in Copenhagen. And the minute she learns that Belgium is occupied by the Germans, she says, I need to go back. I need to go and help out, help my Belgian friends. She felt a very strong bond to these people that she had got to know in her time in Brussels and in Constantinople. So she goes by boat to London and from there to Calais and is then transported in a car to the front in that little triangle of Belgium that isn't occupied by the Germans. And up there at the coast, there's a seaside resort, a huge hotel where the last tourists had checked out in the last week of July 1914 and the next week the doctors and nurses checked in and established this big field hospital. The head of that field hospital was Antoine Depage, her mentor that she had gone to Constantinople with. An obvious choice as a head of this hospital with that experience that he had. So she arrives to this hospital, which is right behind the front. I think it's like 10, 12 kilometers behind the front line in January of 1915. And she describes seeing the British battleships with blazing guns and she can hear how the shells come overhead. And she describes seeing German Taubes, as she called them, doves, these early planes, and how they drop bombs from or grenades that simply lob them out over the side of the cockpit. And how these grenades fall in the sand dunes in this area where she is. There's a huge influx of soldiers and she's there in the sort of the build up to the great battle of Ypres in March and April of 1915. And so that, of course, means that a lot of casualties arrived. And there she gives some really fascinating glimpses into the daily routines and daily life in the Operation Theatre 
uh, in a field hospital. I was going to ask this actually because she is an experienced military nurse and just hearing you talk about her there are the characters there of, of bravery but also loyalty to go and help her friends but this is a very different kind of warfare this is industrialized and mechanized warfare. Mm. Through Valbor's testimony what is it like in these field hospitals? It's really fascinating because she has a very different perspective on it. She doesn't really dwell very much on the horror of it. I mean, obviously, it's sad and she sees a lot of young men dying and she describes it that they still have their thermos with the lukewarm coffee still with them and then they just die <laughs> there right in front of her. But what I find really fascinating is her account of the atmosphere during the operations the casualties arrive after another day of fighting. They've gone over the top. They've perhaps advanced a few meters. And she describes how if the soldiers had been wounded while they were charging and they'd perhaps taken, you know, a few hundred meters or whatever, then they return in a cheerful mood. They will be, you know, swinging their arm stumps and singing the Marseillaise even though they've been wounded. And that gives them a better chance of survival, she describes. Whereas casualties that come in after a defeat, the mood will be doom and gloom and, and, and there will be no singing and cheering. And that has an impact on the chances of survival. And that's just her neutral observation as a nurse. That's what she can see. And I've never seen battle history quite that way. It's quite a unique perspective. And another funny detail is that, of course, they are neutral. They perform operations on both German and French casualties. And, of course, they'll be howling in pain in each their language. So the German soldiers will be crying out for Mutti. He wants to go home to Mama. And the French soldiers will then hear this. And then they'll start shouting at the Germans because they've just been, been shot at by the Germans and wounded. So you get these uh, shouting matches between the wounded soldiers in the operation theatre. That's another perspective on the trench warfare that I've never come across before. To have both sides in the field hospital carrying on that battle, shouting at each other. I mean, quite the atmosphere to try and do your professional nursing work. Exactly. And you can imagine how this is going on while they're actually sawing off, off uh, uh, arms and limbs. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. These sound like pretty harrowing scenes, Jacob, and I just wonder how long someone can last in that environment. How long was Valbor there for? Well, she went back to Denmark uh, already in August of 1915. She was only there for eight months. And it wasn't because she was fed up with nursing in field hospitals. Quite the opposite. She'd been corresponding with her brother. And uh, remember, the family business was this terracotta factory. And Denmark was neutral. So it was perfectly legal for Danish companies to do business with German businesses. The brother had written something about that. He had been in Germany on a business trip and she had sort of failed to translate that part of the letter for, I guess, there was monitoring of the correspondence mm, because yeah. especially these international correspondents, uh, they were worried about espionage. And so they immediately searched her room, interrogated her, and she didn't feel very safe anymore. Because of this, she went back to Denmark. But she was only in Denmark for a few weeks because now she had all this experience and Danish Red Cross was going to establish a new field hospital in Petrograd or St. Petersburg in Russia. So they said, you must come along there and help us establish this. And it met a lot of problems this Danish field hospital in Russia and she stayed there in this insanely cold winter and they didn't really do very much because the Russians had a big problem getting their wounded back to St. Petersburg. So she describes St. Petersburg during this time as a very weird place. They have a lot of fun, make jokes about the horrible food that they get. And it's quite a while before they actually get access to the Stroganov Palace, where you have this big ballroom where they establish the hospital, where they have all the bed. And finally, in the summer of 1916, the wounded soldiers begin to arrive. But after a while there, she moves on and establishes or help establish a new Danish field hospital in Estonia, where it's quite another story. Not these ballrooms and close to the front and lots of diseases and lots of wounded soldiers coming in. And at that time, you get this impression that it's sort of a routine thing for her now. And she's very calm and collected about it. And I mean, you get the impression that emotionally, this is no big deal for her. She takes it as a professional challenge and she meets it very professionally. And I think that may be one of the things that we can sort of take away from Balboa's story and learn from today. I mean, today, like any young woman, can go abroad and study and become whatever. It's no big deal today. But in 1915, 16, to sort of reach that professional level as a woman and be the go-to person, if you want to establish a new <laughs> field hospital, you go to her. That fascinates me because that was groundbreaking, that women could have that role in conflict and in society. 
But it's also paradoxical because when she finally settles down back here in Brunner on Bornholm after the war, she never marries. She is a head nurse of a lung clinic, tuberculosis clinic. And because she has that position, she's not allowed to marry. So she just stays there until she retires uh, during World War II and lives a long, happy life in retirement, helping the family business a little bit and every once in a while giving interviews to the local newspaper about what it was like to drink tea in the harem of the Sultan in Constantinople or what life was like in the trenches of the Western Front. One thing that she liked to dwell on a bit was that she had been helping during operations of the Belgian king and the Belgian crown prince. And it was sort of a state secret. You couldn't say it because people weren't supposed to know that he had been sedated. It was his arm had been broken and they broke up the arm again to put it back together in the right way. And she was there. So she really thought that she had played a part in the big history. That is an amazing story. How does Valbor's time on the Western Front tie into, well, the tragic events of another famous nurse during this period, Edith Cavell? Well, Valbor, of course, knew Edith Cavell from her time at the clinic in Brussels. But in August of 1915, when Valbor finds herself under suspicion of espionage, so does Edith Cavell. Edith Cavell had stayed on in Brussels and done her work as a nurse to help Allied soldiers and had been arrested for, well, smuggling them out and helping them escape and ended up being shot for that as a spy. And it, it does say something about how these women who, I guess, were just there to help, how they still found themselves under suspicion, how they could be seen to have another agenda, because it was expected of young men to go to the front and give their life for king and country. But it was a new thing for women to do so. I guess they weren't expected to give their lives as such, but put themselves on the line. But even when they did, they were looked at with uh, suspicion. And your work really helps place Valbor Yort into this prestigious group of pioneering women during this period and just prior to this period because we talk about Florence Nightingale who is a pioneer statistician as well as a nurse or Edith Cavell who helped professionalise nursing but Valvor Yort is someone who we can remember as a pioneer of the field hospital as well and this is someone I mean it's amazing Jacob who travelled around Constantinople to Brussels to Estonia but then back to Bornholm now, how is it that you got to learn about Valbo's story? Well, it all started with a photograph, really. There was this black and white photo of this frail old woman with all these medals on her chest. And I was wondering, what on earth? How could any old lady on Bornholm have earned that type of World War I medals? There was from Estonia, there was from Belgium. I'd never heard of this woman. And because Yort's terracotta factory is a part today of the museum of Bornholm, we have the archive after the family. So I found lots and lots of photographs from Brussels, from Constantinople and from Russia and Estonia. And best of all, there was this unpublished memoir and all her letters. So you just sort of had to open that little box and begin reading from one end. And there was this fantastic story that I had certainly never heard about. 
I think in a historian's term, we can say that you hit gold. I think so. So that leaves with my final question. Where can we read more about this? <laughs> you can't read anything yet, but there is a book forthcoming in Danish first, regrettably, but perhaps we can have it published internationally as well. Hopefully it's out uh, next year. Fantastic. Well, we will lobby for it to be published in English as well. And failing that, then uh, I encourage people to come and visit Bornholm. Yes, you certainly should. Thank you so much, Jacob. Thank you. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And before you go, remember, as a Warfare listener, you get a special discount at History Hit. Subscribers get access to blissfully, uninterrupted, ad-free podcasts and thousands of hours of history documentaries. You've got everything from the American Revolution to my own documentaries like Traces of War, Weapons of War and 24 Hours in Normandy, where I follow in the footsteps of the Green Howards on D-Day from their beach landings to being awarded the Victoria Cross and all the way through their first day where they made it seven miles inland further than any other British or American unit. So head over to historyhit.com forward slash subscribe or follow the link in the show notes and use the code WARFARE to get 50% off your next three months. That's the code WARFARE to get 50% off. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free episodes within the app. So give it a go. I know you're gonna love it.